We are in John chapter 10. I have to ask you, Saint, are you in or are you out? Have you ever tried to get on base without an ID card? Even if you're in uniform, no amount of courtesy is going to let you on to a military installation these days. And know this, you are either on base or you are off base. There's no in between. And if you're on base, you're on base legally or you're not. If you're on base legally, you are welcome. If you are not on base legally, you are at risk. Consider these four women. One woman caught in adultery. The Jews, her people, wanted her stoned. She was out. There was a woman with an issue of blood, and she was unclean for decades. Her people wanted nothing to do with her. She was out. Jesus went to a dinner one night at a fancy Pharisee's home. And a prostitute showed up and started sobbing at his feet. And her tears dripped on his feet and she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon the Pharisee stood aghast that such a woman was in his house. Not to mention that she was fawning over Jesus. She was out. Jesus tells of a Syrophoenician woman in Matthew chapter 15. Her daughter had an unclean spirit. She knew Jesus was in the region, knew he was a healing man. She was a Gentile, though. She had nothing to lose. So she went and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord said, am I going to cast the food to the dogs? Even before the Lord, she was out. All were out, not part of the group. They were isolated. They were being ignored. They were persona non grata. They were less than dogs. They were all suffering. But Christ. So the question remains, Saint... Are you in or are you out? Throughout the year, I've been and will continue to examine the various I am verses of Jesus Christ, the I am declarations that he made, statements which are very clear revelations about him and about his identity. Sometimes they confused his followers, but thankfully this far removed and having the wealth of scripture, we are able to look at these verses And in the light and the fullness of the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see who he is. That we might know him and that we might worship him and follow him rightly. The two previous sermons that I preached this year, one looked at Jesus Christ where he said, I am the truth. And then we looked at his declaration in May where he said, I am the light. Today we look at Jesus' audacious claim that he is the door. 
What did this mean for the outcasts of the New Testament? What does it mean for us today? And the question will remain, have you passed through the door? Are you in or are you out? May God grant us eyes to see and ears to hear as we open his word. John chapter 10, verse 1. Read it already. We'll read through verse 6 here to start. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. The first thing that we see here, before we even look at the sheepfold, is to know that thieves are going to enter the sheepfold. Thieves are going to to enter into the sheepfold. Well, that's kind of troubling. This passage comes right on the heels of John chapter 9, a full chapter about the healing of the man born blind. And if you read the end of chapter 9 and go into chapter 10, there's like no transition. It's as though Jesus is continuing to speak, and I believe he is. So you imagine, after healing of the man born blind, who's standing around the man born blind, the Pharisees who are going... How is this healing taking place on the Sabbath and the crowds who are gathering around to hear this commotion? If thieves are entering the sheepfold, then there has to be a sheepfold, which begs the question, what is the sheepfold? Clearly, there is an in and there is an out. You are in the sheepfold or you are not. You're in the sheepfold legally, you're on base legally, or you're not. If you are not in the sheepfold properly, you are a thief. The shepherd enters by the door. The thieves do not. There's no maybe. What is a sheepfold? It's a place for the shepherd's sheep. All throughout Israel, if you were to drive around, you see little bitty stone walls, about like knee high, you can like, Step over them, no problem. You know, what's that for? Well, that's for the sheep. And it's a little bitty stone enclosure with a single opening. And the shepherd would sit there at the opening. The sheep go in. They're not going to jump over the sheep. Just sit there and graze on the grass. And the shepherd guards the door. The sheepfold is the place for the shepherd's sheep. Jump down to verse 11. Briefly, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We'll talk about that next week. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we get a beautiful picture of who the sheep are in Paul's exhortation to husbands of all strange places. 
Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27 reads, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Plainly, the shepherd has collected his sheep. The sheepfold is the people of Christ that he has redeemed for himself. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. He calls us, who are believers, who are in the sheepfold, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. The marvelous light is his sheepfold. The sheepfold is the church. If you are redeemed, you are part of Christ's church. You are part of the sheepfold. If you are not redeemed, you are not part of Christ's church. You are not part of the sheepfold. And this has nothing to do whether or not you're sitting here today. To enter the sheepfold, to be part of Christ's church, you must enter through the door. If you don't, he says, you are a robber. Thieves and robbers will enter the sheepfold. The purpose of the robber is down in verse 10. The thief comes to what end? Only to steal, kill, and destroy. The purpose of a robber is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like your front door. You have the key or you don't. If it's not your home, in the case of the Syrophoenician woman, the woman whose daughter had the unclean spirit, you must be let in through the door. Any other entrance to your home is a non-starter. It's the stuff of castle laws. You hear your door open in the middle of the night and you know everyone is tucked snug in your bed, in their beds, your adrenaline is sure to spike. Going into my house here. Understand, Saint, that there are many robbers in churches today who think they are doing God's work. And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. They are thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if they're in the sheepfold, how do I know? I'm just a sheep. In God's word, and here in this passage, we see a consistency between the door and the good shepherd. Jesus Christ uses these two metaphors almost hand in glove. One leads directly to the other. Next week, 
we're going to look at his declaration, I am the good shepherd, here in the following verses in in chapter 10, verse 11 and following. But he he states that the shepherd of the sheep enters via the door, and he is the door. He says that twice, in verse 7 and in verse 9. They are coincident. They are one. They are him, Jesus Christ. What Christ has said, what Christ has done, is because of who he is. No contradiction, no inconsistency. He is the word made flesh. As such, it makes sense that the only way to heaven, the only way into the sheepfold is through him. Saint, if anyone is dishing anything apart from the word of God, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, you need to run. I have to listen to what any preacher or teacher says in light of the correspondence to the door. If it passes through the door, it's good and right and true. If it conflicts or gets hung up on the door frame, it's wrong. In, may, in, in this day, throughout our community, throughout the land, and throughout the world, many thieves will bend and twist the word to make it relevant to our culture. Pastors will do it. Churches will expect it. Congregants will do it even if the pastor says something different. People want to pick and choose their Jesus. They like love one another. They like judge not lest ye be judged. But they're not big fans of his calling to obedience, to repent of their sin, to conform to his truth. They're not big fans of taking up your cross daily and following him. I can't profess the truth if at the same time I'm not loving my neighbor. It's inconsistent. But I cannot say that I love my neighbor and at the same time bury the truth. That too is inconsistent. The most unloving thing that we can do in the world today is to affirm a lifestyle that's going to lead somebody straight to hell. Thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. Pastors will be attacked for holding fast to the word of truth. God's word. Saint. Thieves will come in to the sheepfold to steal, to kill, and destroy. If this pulpit begins to preach a word that does not correspond to Jesus Christ in word or deed, you have a responsibility to confront And exhort the leaders in the church. And if we tell you to pound sand, if we tell you to go away, then I would flee. Find a church that does proclaim Christ and glorify him. So the first thing we notice in this passage is that there will be thieves in the sheepfold. The second thing to take away here is what has already been emphasized, and that is we can only enter the sheepfold through the door. Jesus contrasts himself with all others. 
Verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, they are not. I am not the door. Christ alone is the door. All others, if they are proclaiming themselves to be such, are thieves and robbers. There's an exclusivity with the Son of God. And wouldn't we expect that? If he is God alone, then we would expect to come to eternal life through him. And that is the point of the metaphor. There is no other way. It's life eternal, life now and life in the age to come. No other way. And so the question remains, saint, are you in or are you out? He says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Period. That's it. I read from Matthew chapter 7, 13 to 14, and you see that same metaphor there. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's calling us, enter by the narrow gate. The contrast is the broad way. It is wide, it is easy, but it leads to destruction. Who goes that way? Many. The narrow gate, Jesus Christ. The way is hard. Those who find it are few. Will I turn to Christ and be saved? Jesus isn't trying to trick us. He tells you up front that the way is going to be hard. So, Christian, let's stop being surprised when we find life difficult here under the sun. Whoa. We're called to deny ourselves. We're called to take up our cross daily and follow him. Suffering. Take up your cross and tonight. The, the picture is of being crucified with him. Suffer with him. It's hard. Suffering is mentioned 87 times in the New Testament. 18 of them, almost one in five, are in 1 Peter alone. If you like highlighting words that repeat, you're going to just see suffering, 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 all through 1 Peter. What's his point? You're going to suffer. Fiery trials, tested by fire, various trials, beaten. But saying it's not just persecution. To deny yourself, to deny your sin is to suffer. Pastor Jeremy a few weeks ago read Romans 8, 16 and 17. Really important for us to catch this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. 
The suffering he's talking about in chapter 8 is the suffering of denying yourself, of putting to death the sin that is within you. It comes right on the heels of chapter 7 of Romans where he goes, why do I do the things that I do and I don't do the things that I want to do? To follow after Jesus Christ is to suffer. To not follow after my own flesh is to deny myself here in hope of something better. In Hebrews chapter 11, Moses is described as having denied himself the pleasures of sin for a season, not just to suffer for suffering's sake, but for something better. A city that he looked forward to. We give up these fleeting and temporal pleasures that are going to end up stealing or killing or destroying us in hope of something better. We have a hope in a greater promise. So, Saint, what's the hope? Does he give us any hope here in John chapter 10? And he does. For those who enter through the door, salvation isn't a misery. It isn't a life of boredom waiting for the life to come. There are blessings in the sheepfold. And I will highlight three. He notes that those who come into the sheepfold, in verse 9 he says, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Three blessings come from this. First, we understand that the sheepfold for us is a fortress. It is impregnable as far as stealing us away. If you enter by Christ, you will be saved. That's what he says. There is no doubt. There is no question. He will be saved. Yes, certainly in the future. But eternal life is eternal, which means it begins now. Later in this chapter, in chapter verses 28 and 29, he says, nothing can snatch you from my hand. So even though there are going to be thieves around, you have the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also says, nothing will snatch you from my Father's hand. And there is none greater than he. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 asks the rhetorical question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul goes on to list tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword and we go well that doesn't sound fun and these aren't things that we have had to endure in our country and they were unthinkable 15 or 20 years ago but you look out the window today and you're going are these things imminent for us if they come None of them can separate, that, separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Eternal life with God, our God and Savior, does not begin with death. It is ours now. So the first thing we see here in the blessings of the sheepfold is that it is a fortress. But not only is it that, there is freedom. You can come and you can go to find pasture. Okay, this isn't you can 
well, you can be in the church and you can leave the church for a time and then we'll come back to church at some point, you know, seven or eight months from now. This is not implying a leaving of the body, per se. But even when I am not part of the church, even when I am not amongst the believers, I am part of the church. We are not trapped in the sheepfold. This is not some oppressive, dank basement. There is freedom to go in and out. This freedom is not to sin. It is a freedom from sin to enjoy the world that God has given to us. Imagine being lost in a jungle. Okay, I am, I am not the crocodile hunter. I'm not Bear Grylls or any of those guys who could survive for weeks out in the wild. In the jungle, I would have no idea what's legit to eat and what's not legit to eat. I wouldn't know where the pumas are hiding. I wouldn't know where the hippos were in the water, the crocodiles. You see the gazelles eating and the water's all nice and quiet. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, and there goes the gazelle. I don't know where the predators are. I don't know what will kill me. But what if Tarzan was my compadre? Somebody who grew up in the jungle. Somebody who can tell me who can take me into a hostile world, hostile world with confidence. What if he can show me what I can eat? What if he can tell me where the lions and tigers and bears are? We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's word. What is poisonous? He tells us. Where do the crocodiles lurk? God tells us. In the finished work of Christ alone, alone can we battle the sins that beset us in this life. Through Christ alone. We have freedom in Christ. If God has given us Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, how will he not give us all things? I've given to you my son. I have made you an heir. How will I not watch over you and protect you? And so we can go in and out and find pasture and provision, which takes us to the final point. The third point here is that there is fullness within the sheepfold. There is a fullness. And this one probably breaks my heart most of all. The people who come to religion to find a better way of life. The people who come to religion to get their get-out-of-hell-free card. I mean... Christ promises both of those things. He doesn't promise you freedom from suffering. He doesn't promise you a perfect marriage, but he gives you the principles by which you can have a God-honoring and good marriage. But it breaks my heart when people walk away from the church when they've never even tried to taste and see that the Lord is good. Many do not know or understand the fullness that is found in Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you guys the truth. I don't comprehend the fullness of what is found in Jesus Christ. None of us can, but that should be our desire. Give me more. 
I want, I want more of you because only there will I find satisfaction. Jesus says we'll come and go and find pasture. God will provide. We know that any provision is only by his hand. If I love stuff above the Savior, I will only know emptiness, death, and destruction. The thieves come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But if I love the Savior above the stuff, I can rightly delight in and enjoy the stuff that he has provided me. C.S. Lewis no surprise, stated it with more color. He said, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. This is Paul's very warning to the rich people in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul warns, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But set your hope on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Don't set your, don't set your hope on the stuff you want to enjoy or you're going to end up empty. Set your hope on God. Fulfillment is only found in Him. Only in Him can I truly enjoy my family. Can I truly enjoy my friends. Only in God can I truly understand what my work should be and enjoy my work. Only then can I, only, or can I truly understand food and drink and enjoy it. Only in Christ can I seek after an entertainment not to be embarrassed over. Each of these gets utterly out of kilter if God is not my priority. Through the door, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we find a safe haven, a fortress. We find freedom to live a life unencumbered by sin. And we find a fullness that this world can never promise. And here's the amazing thing. This is a gift without gimmick. Jesus is not going to give you a bait and switch. He is who he is. The door and the good shepherd are one and the same. Each of the four women in the introduction found life in restoration to God in Christ alone. He was their door. The woman caught in adultery found mercy. The woman with the issue of blood knew wholeness again. The prostitute was touched by forgiveness. Even the Syrophoenician woman, when she continued to knock on the door, found entrance into the sheepfold and healing for her daughter. But each of them found life only through the door of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anything apart from Christ will leave you robbed and ruined and perhaps dead. 
Christ has come that we might have life abundant and life to the full. And we'll look at that in greater detail next week as we look at the Good Shepherd. So, I know each of you, almost, out there, regarding the sheepfold, are you in or are you out? If there is any doubt today about where you stand regarding the sheepfold and the door, I beg that you would settle it before the door, even today. Let's pray. God, there's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, declares Christ the Lord, Christ the door. Father, for my brothers and sisters here, for myself, if we are finding distractions and things in this world that leave us empty and hollow, we beg and pray that you would do your work in us, that we might put our idols aside and look to you, our Lord and Savior, that we might live and order our life in accordance with the voice of the Good Shepherd, that we might find the freedom to come and go and have pasture. Father, for any here who does not know you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I beg that you would work in their heart and in their mind, that they would see their sin, see how separated they are from you, see the end of the road, the destruction that lies ahead, and that they would turn to you, repent, and be saved. And Father, as we go from this place today, would you be honored and glorified in your church that we would shine like lights in a dark place, that people might see our good works and glorify you, our Father, who is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.